everyone, and welcome to Sinful Sarah's Horror Menagerie. I'm your host, Sarah Sin, tackling horror movies, peeling back the layers, and taking a deeper dive into them. Again, on the show, I don't just discuss my love of horror movies. I like to bring in the aspect and perspective of horror in history, how horror movies tend to reflect society's fears. And since I am a psychology major, I like to bring this aspect and perspective in as well and see how the horror movie I'm focusing on reflects psychology and mental health in any way. So I want to apologize that it's been a while since I've put an episode out. There's a lot that's been going on the past few weeks um, between school and work and everything else going on in my life. I've been working really hard on my final project on Herbert West that I'm doing for my Theories of Personality class that's due in a week. Um, plus all my other schoolwork has become very overwhelming. And for this final project, I'm actually gonna be recording myself on video because it counts as, so if I record myself doing this presentation, it counts towards one of my oral communications um, towards graduation. And when I looked back, I already have one done. So hopefully this will be the second one. I don't have to worry about it anymore. But that's been taking up a lot of time as my final project. I'm getting really nervous about having to record myself on video because I hate it. I even asked if I could record like a podcast and send it to her because it is still me talking. It is still oral communication. But she said, no, I have to be seen doing it. So that was kind of frustrating. And then, like I said, on top of it, I got lots of schoolwork to do. I feel like I have no time to do it. I only have a couple weeks left of school for this semester and I'm just been overwhelmed. You know, work, I got, I work full time. I'm a single mom. I got a lot going on on top of that. And it's just like, I have these three sets of parents at work that are just really frustrating me. It's like, no matter how hard I try, they have to complain about every single thing that we do in my classroom. And it's really been bringing the morale down with me and my two coworkers. We've actually sat and talked about it while babies were asleep that we're really getting frustrated and upset and it's like hard to go to work when it's like we have to walk on eggshells every single day because of these three parents because you know we're damned if we do we're damned if we don't with them and that's not really a feeling you want when you go to work especially for a job that I absolutely love I love my job I love doing what I do I love working in a baby room but on the other hand, it is frustrating to go to work and be like, what are they going to complain about today? You know, what did we do wrong today? And a part of me is like, if you want to complain all the time about how we're basically raising your children, considering they're there four or five days a week, they're there like 40 to 48 hours a week with us, get a nanny. <laughs> like, if you don't like it, then pay for a nanny because then the nanny can do whatever you want. You deem what they have to do. We're group care. We have to tend to every single child in that room. Your child's priority is not a top priority to us. And I feel bad saying that, but it's the truth. We got eight babies in there, and every single one of them has needs that need to be prioritized. And no child takes priority over another one. And I don't think these three sets of parents understand that. I think they honestly think that when, we, when they drop their kid off in our room, their kid is number one priority, and that's not how it works. So like I said, I'm not trying to be mean, you know, but it's, it's so frustrating because I love all the children and for the most part, I like the parents. They're very sweet people, but to have to go to work every day wondering what they're going to complain about next is very frustrating and it just kind of brings the morale down with me and my fellow coworkers. So that's been very overwhelming and very frustrating and incredibly stressful. 
And then on top of it, I have work. I mean, sorry, on top of that, I have school. See, I'm, I'm so flabbergasted. I'm so tired. I'm so stressed out with everything going on in my life. You know, on top of that, I have school. I got this final project I have to record tomorrow. I hate being on, I hate videotaping myself, but I really want to get this credit for my oral communication towards graduation. So I have to do it, but I've never had to record myself and I don't know how to send a video after I record myself. So I don't even know what to do. So I've just been overwhelmed and stressed out. So I took extra time off, which I don't like doing. I usually like to go every other week if I have to or just take a week off. But it's been a few weeks and I do apologize. There's just a lot going on. And then there's other stuff going on that I'm sadly not going to talk about, but it's it's bad. That's all I can say is that it's it's bad and I don't know how to process it. I don't know how to handle it. I don't even know how to move forward from it because I don't know what I'm supposed to do as a parent, what my parental rights are in regards my daughter. So not only am I completely overwhelmed with school and completely stressed out with work, having to walk on eggshells every single day I walk through those doors, now I have to deal with this. And my daughter comes first. She will always come first in my life. I will, she is my top priority. And now I have to try to figure out how to deal with this. And I don't know how. And it's just bad. So it's just been a while. But I was going to skip this week too because I've just been so depressed and overwhelmed. But I said, you know what? This is also my escapism. The podcast is also my therapy. It's my way of just being able to focus on something else for 45 minutes. So with all that said, and I'm sorry to drop all that on you guys, but like I said, this is where I talk about things that are bothering me and I can just try to be as real as possible with you guys. So with all that said, I am going to move on to the last movie for July for the theme of let's celebrate our independent horror movie day with 1984's Night of the Comet, directed by Tom Eberhardt, hope I said that right, starring Catherine Mary Stewart as Regina, Kelly Maroney as Samantha, Robert Beltram as Hector, Sharon Farrell as Doris, Mary Warnerov as Audrey, again, sorry if I butchered that name, Jeffrey Lewis as Dr. Carter, Peter Fox as Dr. Wilson, John Archon as Oscar, and Michael Bowen as Larry. So for horror history, so this movie is definitely more horror history heavy Again, like I say, when it comes to each movie, some of them are more on the horror history side. You know, they reflect history more. Some of them are more on the psychology mental health side. They reflect more on those aspects. Some of them are right in the middle. This movie is definitely, I'd say, reflects more on history and what was going on at the time, such as we got consumerism, you know, the idea that more is more, buy more stuff, rack up those credit cards, keep going. Like, it's the consumerism, you know, consumer culture, yay. I think it also reflects on the Cold War, the comet itself in this movie being a metaphor for the bomb and that fear in society of what may happen if the bomb drops. And I think it also reflects on divorce. You know, the divorce race kind of peaked in the 70s and kind of continued into the 80s. So divorce started to become a more common thing as opposed to like the 50s and the 60s when it wasn't really heard of or it wasn't considered, nor quote, normal. 70s, it kind of started going up and continued into the 80s and I think this definitely reflects on that. For psychology and mental health we got fight or flight, some guilt and grief, blended family like for family structure this is a blended family, 
some identity versus role confusion, which is Erickson, and some, I would definitely say some childhood trauma and trauma. So what is this movie about? When a comet passes over the earth, turning most people into red dust or into cannibalistic zombies, two sisters, Regina and Samantha, find out they are among a very small group of survivors. While trying to navigate through the post-apocalyptic world, a group of scientists who knew the effects of the comet are trying to seek out survivors in order to harvest their blood for a cure so they don't turn into zombies. Can these two sisters fight to survive using their father's military training? Or will they too become zombies, red dust, or worse, die at the hands of the scientists? Moving on to the subgenre. So I will admit that this movie was a little tricky, like it was a tricky one for me to try to figure out what the subgenre was. Because it's not really a slasher flick, nor is it really a creature feature. And I personally wouldn't put it under the zombie subgenre either. Uh, I would kind of almost call it a disaster movie, but to be honest, I never really considered that to be a subgenre, even though it kind of is in a way, because I think a disaster movie is part of nature horror, like nature horror with a disaster theme, like undertone, because, you know, most disaster movies are natural disasters that happen. But for this movie, I would definitely say I would put it in the sci-fi horror subgenre with a disaster movie undertone. You know, this movie has sci-fi elements with the comet killing most of mankind, turning them into zombies. So I'm going to go over the definition of sci-fi horror. Sci-fi horror. This is the subgenre that blends science fiction and horror beautifully. This is where science and experiments have gone wrong, aliens evade the earth, or bugs grow to enormous size, threatening humanity. These films typically involve a scientist playing God, out-of-control experiments, or alien invasions. Space aliens, other worlds, mad scientists, and science experiments make up this subgenre. This subgenre exploded in the 50s and hasn't stopped. Before I go more in-depth about what this movie is really about, after you peel back the layers and see what's beneath the surface, I want to go over a couple things this movie actually reflects on. This movie reflects on consumerism consumer culture of the 80s. As the LA Times puts it, the 1980s were the years of buying dangerously. Bye bye bye, more is better. This was the decade of like health fads, fitness gurus, and dressing for success. Electronics were peaking with home computers, video game systems, the Walkman, VHS tapes, and the cordless phone. People were more materialistic, just like Madonna's song, Material Girl, which actually came out after this movie, I believe. But nonetheless, this, quote, material girl attitude is present within our movie. People fell in love with credit cards, paying for things they couldn't afford. I mean, Sam at one point even tells her sister, this sweater costs 80 bucks. And in another scene, Reggie asks Sam if she has her MasterCard on her. You know, we also see this before the comet hits. These two, quote, valley girls live a nice lifestyle in the sense of, like, money and fashion. They like the finer things. And even when the comet takes out most of humanity, we still see a glimpse of this attitude during like the mall montage as we see the girls going shopping, choosing nicer and the more expensive items. So like I said, it's definitely reflecting on like consumer culture of the 80s. You know, more is more, buy, buy, buy. You want all these nice things. Basically, like you need to look rich. You need to look like you have money. So rack up those credit cards to afford the things you actually can't afford. So buy the things you can't afford. And I will say I do enjoy the mall montage because even though it is 2020, 
I would probably do the same thing if I was a teenager, which was in the late 90s, early 2000s. If this happened to me, I would definitely be shopping and stocking up on things I needed, as well as things I wanted. And this was basically the attitude of the 80s, the quote me era. It wasn't about owning things you needed or buying things you needed. It was about buying things you wanted and racking up those credit cards because you couldn't afford the things you wanted, but you're going to buy them anyway kind of attitude. So, and this movie does reflect on this idea and this attitude is definitely present within our two main characters of the sisters, Sam and Reggie. I think this movie also reflects on the Cold War. So this movie is about a comet. Let me go back. Sorry. Let me backtrack a little. This movie is about a comet that swings by Earth that, you know, terminates most of life. You know, the movie opens with this narration. Since before recorded time, it had swung through the universe in an elliptical orbit so large that its very existence remained a secret of time and space. But now, in the 20th century, the visitor was returning. The citizens of Earth would get an extra Christmas present this year as their planet orbited through the tail of the comet. Scientists predicted a light show of stellar proportions, something not seen on Earth for 65 million years. Indeed, not since the time of the dinosaurs disappeared virtually overnight. There were a few who saw this more than just a coincidence, but most didn't. So I feel like the idea of this comet coming and destroying humanity and turning it into a post-apocalyptic world is, a, is in direct correlation with the Cold War. Instead of a bomb, it's a comet, but it's still reflecting on the fears of society at the time. Tension was high between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. It was a, quote, will they, won't they feeling. And it was all around us. Like, it was all around the people. It was like, it was this constant looming fear. It was causing fear. And then as the Berlin Wall got knocked down and started to crumble, so did the Cold War. But for the 80s decade, this fear of the bomb dropping loomed over society. It was creating fear within society. This was something society really feared, was this idea that, are we going... Will they, won't they, is the bomb going to drop? Will the bomb kill us all? Is it going to exterminate humanity? And I feel that this movie is definitely reflecting on that by using the comet as a metaphor for the actual bomb. So moving on to the next thing I'd like to talk about. One thing I really enjoyed about this movie is that beneath all the 80s nostalgia and cheesiness, this movie is about family, family structure, family system. This is a movie about two sisters that even though they have differences, they are all they have no matter what. They have each other. In the, in the end, they always have each other. This is a blended family structure, a divorced family system, with, I would definitely say, some trauma and abuse suffered by the hands of the people who are supposed to love and care for them. So, again, let me go over a few scenes, explain a little more, and then I'll explain a little more in depth of what I'm trying to say, you know, explain a little more of kind of like what I'm trying to get at. So, Reggie is working and calls her sister Sam, who's at home because their stepmother Doris is having a comet party. Sam, hello, Regina. Samantha, you sound pissed. Sam, I just had it out with Doris once and for all again. She wants me to like haul chips and dips around for her little comet party. Regina, yeah, well, speaking of Doris, look, I need your help. Tell her that you know all about this field trip I'm about to take, okay? With my science class. We're going to go to the observatory to watch the comet. Sam. She won't go for it. Reggie. She'll go for it. Just tell her, okay? Sam. Okay. Doris. Reggie's on the phone. Doris. She's not having car trouble. Sam. 
She's going to be out all night with her science class at the observatory. I know all about it. Reggie. Yeah. Hi, Doris. Doris. What's this about a science class, Regina? Reggie. Well, you want me to do better in science, don't you? Doris. I want you home in five minutes after you finish work. If you want to watch the comet, you can do it here. Reggie. Look, Doris, like, I'm 18, okay? And I can watch the comet wherever I want to watch the comet. Doris. Here, Samantha. You and your sister share a lot of secrets. I want you to share this one with her. If it were up to me, I couldn't care less what she did. But if your father makes it back home without some sanitista blowing his brains out, he's going to hold me responsible for any kind of trouble you two girls get into. What we have here is a chain of command. The major jumps on me, I jump on you. Sam. Did you get that? Okay. Doris. Now, are you going to join the party? Sam. Join the party? For what, Doris? So I can watch Chuck from across the street sticks his hands down your pants? I think that's something Daddy should know. Doris. Chuck's a nice guy. He's certainly nice to be with while your daddy's down in Banana Land. Sam. You were born with an asshole, Doris. You don't need Chuck. Doris slaps Sam. Sam slaps her back. Doris punches her. So after Reggie, like, figures out something is wrong, like something's happened and the comet flew over, she actually goes back home. Reggie. Samantha? Sam. What? Ah! God, what are you trying to do? Give me a heart attack? Thought you were Doris. You know she ducked me last night? Knocked one of my teeth loose, even. Wait till Daddy hears about that. You know how he's always telling me to be careful with my mouth on account that the dental plan doesn't cover anything cosmetic. Ooh, anyway, get this. I think Chuck and Doris spent the night together last night. Wait till Daddy hears about that. I mean, even if he isn't pissed off about my mouth, which I can't even imagine. Reggie. What's happening? Sam. Oh yeah, I guess you're a little confused. God, you look terrible. I ran away last night after she slugged me, left a note and everything, but I didn't have any place to go, so I spent the night in the lawn storage shed. It was pretty gross with the serenol and everything. God, look at this kitchen. I'm not cleaning this up. So anyway, since I was still here this morning, I thought, hey, I'll go to pep squad practice and split after. Except for, I didn't know if pep squad practice is on or not. I can't get anybody on the phone. Reggie. Sammy, you can't get anybody on the phone because everyone is gone. Sam. What? Could you grab the milk, please? Reggie. I swear to God. Sam. Ugh, you made me swallow my gum. Reggie. There's nobody. I mean, there's nobody. Sam. Oh, right. Nobody. I'm sure. Reggie. Come here. Sam. Hey, back off. The sweater costs 80 bucks. She picks up the dog leash. Muffy? Stupid dog. Reggie. Look. Look at this. Sam. At what? Reggie. Doris isn't at Chuck's. I'll show you Doris. And she picks up her dress. Here's Doris. This is all that's left of her. This and dust. Look, here's Chuck. Where are the kids? It's Saturday morning. Where are the goddamn kids? And the sisters end up at the radio station thinking that the DJ may still be alive. And they run to a truck driver named Hector. And Reggie and Hector are talking about a, um, Hector's gum. Reggie, where did you get this? A dime store? Hector, beats me. It was given to me. Reggie, yeah, well, it might be all right for date night in the barrio, but if we run into any more of those guys outside, we're going to need a little more stopping power. And then Samantha's like playing on the radio, pretending to be a DJ. Reggie, 
Do you know where the Armed Forces Reserve Center is at Los Almaditos? Hector. Yeah? Reggie. My dad used to take us there for target practice. They store all the medical weapons there. Hector. You know how to use them? Reggie. Come on, Hector. MAC-10 submachine gun were practically designed for housewives. Then Sam tells them, like, she got a call on the radio. They were introduced, and this is where we're introduced to the scientists who actually knew about the comet. So then Reggie goes and checks on Hector again. Hector, listen, I have to go to San Diego tomorrow. Reggie, why? Hector, my mom, some friends, my sister. Reggie, but you know they're gone. Hector, I know, but I still have to find out. I mean, you guys know for sure, but I don't know. Reggie, did you have like a close family? Hector, yeah, pretty close. You? Reggie, not anymore. My real mom hung around until my dad came back from Vietnam. Then she split. So it's been mostly me and Sam and Dad and the 3rd Special Forces. Smoke bomb hill Fort Bragg. But then around about 6th or 7th grade, it became real obvious that we weren't boys, that we were never going to go to ranger school. So I guess Dad figured there was nothing more to offer us. So he found us a new mom and went off looking for a war. Then the girls are like shooting automatics for target practice on a car and Sam's, car, um, Sam's gun jams. Sam, see, this is the problem with these things. Daddy would have gotten us Uzis. Reggie, the car didn't know the difference. Sam, so did you make it with him last night? Reggie, with who? Sam, the good humor man, who do you think? Reggie, geez, is that what's bugging you? Sam, that's no answer, man. Reggie, no, I didn't make it with him last night. Why are you so weirded out? Sam, oh right, Reg, why should I be weirded out? My sister swiped every guy I ever had my eye on and has now swiped the last guy in the whole freaked out world. And then later on, the girls are sitting on a police car and they're kind of having this little sisterly chat. Reggie, that's about the 12th can you've downed this morning. Sam, thirsty. Reggie, yeah, well, what are you going to do when your complexion freaks out? Dermatologist is dead, you know. Sam, I know. And I'm getting a rash or something, too. Reggie, oh, God, you and your rashes. Sam, Hey, I'm sorry the end of the world makes me a little nervous. So do you like him? Reggie. Come on, Sam. Sam. I'm just interested. Reggie. Yeah, well, I guess so. I mean, he's nice. Sam. There was this new guy at school, Paul Morgan. He transferred from Taft, a junior. Reggie. I don't hang around juniors much. Sam. I liked him. I mean, he was from Taft, but he was nice. Kathy said he was probably going to ask me out. Kathy, she was flunking algebra and she was trying to figure out some way to keep her parents from finding out. This is really lucky break for her. No wonder I'm breaking out. Think we could go home and change? Reggie, look, why don't we get a little creative? Sam, what? Reggie, do you have your, uh, do you have your MasterCard on you? Sam, no. Reggie, good, because you don't need it. The stores are open. So then Reggie and Sam go to the mall, um, and they're having fun and dancing and trying on different clothes. They get kidnapped by some crazed-out store clerks, then saved by the scientists. Reggie's taken back to the compound where she finds out that they're not trying to save them or save, like, like they're finding survivors. They're not actually trying to save them. They want to steal their blood to develop a cure. Hector shows up with Sam to bust Reggie out of the compound, saving these two children along the way, which is a boy and a girl and killing the scientists so they can't hurt anyone. 
And in the very end of the movie, we see Hector and Reggie together, taking on the responsibility of taking care of these two children. Sam finds this boy, um, DMK, driving around, and then ends up going off with him for a joyride. So let's backtrack a little for a minute. First of all, this would be considered a blended family structure, and this is defined as a family that includes children of a previous marriage of one spouse or both. That's Marion Webster. Sam and Reggie's father remarried after their mother left, giving them a stepmother, Doris, whom had no kids of her own and married a man with children. So this is the blended family. So for the most part, blended families are good, healthy, and give children the stability they need, where the children are loved by the step-parent. In fact, myself come from a huge blended family. My dad had four children from his former wife, Esther, who later on had two more children. My mom had me with my biological father, who married someone else later on, had two boys. Uh, my mom married my dad, raising me. He has loved me since the day I was born, even putting his name on, on my birth certificate. So our family is big and confusing, but it's one big bl blended family, and I wouldn't have it any other way. And I'm a good example of a divorced blended family that I've been in stability, I've been in a loving home, a loving home environment. So for the most part, that they are stable environments for children. They're not bad at all. You know, some people think it's bad to get divorced and to remarry, but th there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, blended families are still a family. They're just different, you know, from different marriages and different children. And most step-parents love those children as if they were their own. However, for Reggie and Sam, they are not in a stable home full of love. I would say, and I'm sorry, but their stepmother is abusive. As we see when I went over the scene where Reggie's calling to tell Sam like she's not coming to Doris's comic party, Doris punches Sam with no hesitation and in front of people. And if she can do that in front of people, then I don't even want to imagine what she does behind closed doors because the truth is what someone who's abusive can do in front of people, they're always 10 times worse behind closed doors. It's never expanded on, but for me, I see that Doris is an abusive person, both emotionally, mentally, as well as physically, to be quite honest. Not only does she punch Sam, but the way she talks to her and Reggie is not appropriate at all. We also learned that their father tried to raise them kind of like boys. I don't think it's a terrible idea to teach girls how to use firearms, considering it's a useful skill for them to have in a post-apocalyptic world. But it's implied that the father wasn't too happy he had girls. He wanted boys. Well, actually, okay, sorry. To be honest, I don't think he cared if it was boys or girls. What he wanted was soldiers. He didn't get soldiers. He had two girls that wanted to be girls. Then he married Doris to give the girls a mom, and then he left to go find a war to fight in. That's what he wanted, was soldiers to join him in war. He didn't get that. He marries Doris and leaves. Reggie also mentions that their mom just kind of ups and leaves their father when he returns from Vietnam. And this must have been very traumatic for the girls to see their mother leave with no explanation. So the girls experience trauma from their mom leaving. Their dad tries to raise them as soldiers. And it's very obvious that he's not happy that he had girls rather than boys. And then he marries Doris, who is not only emotionally and mentally abusive, but physically abusive towards the girls as well. And on top of that, she cheats on their father whenever he goes off to another place to fight a war, as Reggie puts it. So in the end, the girls have always had to rely on each other to be the one constant in their lives, the one person who will always be there no matter what. And we see this throughout the movie. The comet wipes out most of humanity, yet these sisters survive, 
and they are there for one another while they're trying to navigate through this post-apocalyptic world. And in the end, they end up making up their own family. The sisters, Sam and Regina, there's Hector, and the two children that they saved from the scientists. They all band together to live in this, po um, sorry, to live in this post-apocalyptic world together. And what I truly love about this movie is that beneath all the 80s cheese and nostalgia, this movie is about family sticking together no matter what curveball is thrown at them. And in the end, these two sisters form their own family and end up getting the family they deserved. So even though they had to deal with trauma of their mom leaving, and then their dad trying to raise them as soldiers, but they weren't soldiers. They were girls who wanted to be girls. And then he marries this abusive woman um, and then leaves them, leaves his two girls with this abusive woman and heads off to war. These girls have always had to band together to be there for one another, even though they have differences, even though they fight their sisters. They're always there for each other. And then, like I said, at the very end, these two sisters finally get the family they deserved. I hope that all makes sense. So moving on to my reviews. Hungry Creatures says, the overall tone is that of comedy, tinged with schlock horror elements, and oddly enough for the time, sporting unusual and well-developed characters. We really get to know these sisters and their differing personalities. We root for them as a team in the over their heads against the world turn mad. Tension builds, but it's kept in check by truly funny moments. It takes time to slow down every once in a while and build a believable sibling relationship that feels both real and interesting. I left the movie wanting to hang out with these characters more. Bloody Disgusting says, Night of the Comet is a tongue-in-cheek sci-fi horror movie that doesn't take itself too seriously, though it does place emphasis on family. It's distinctly 80s, so it'll be exciting to see how Orion Pictures and writer Roxanne Benjamin update it for a modern audience. As it stands, though, the 80s gem makes for a fun Christmas treat that gives a rare glimpse into the sunnier side of the holiday and an entertaining blend of humor, adventure, and horror. So, overall, this movie is a fun yet creepy little romp into 80s consumer culture that also reflects on the fears of the Cold War. This movie, on the outside, seems a little cheesy. But once you dig a little deeper, you realize this movie tackles serious issues such as consumerism, fears of the atomic bomb, and abuse within the home. And that's one of the reasons why I love the horror genre. They are not afraid to tackle real issues going on head on as if to tell the viewer, hey, this is what's going on in the real world. You need to be aware of what's really happening out there. And this movie is no different. Our two leads, our sister duo, are absolutely amazing and you can't help but fall in love with them. Catherine Mary Stewart as the tough, realistic older sister, Reggie, and Kelly Maroney as a sweet, daydreaming younger sister, Sam. But even though they are different in many ways, they have always been there for each other, sticking together through trauma, abuse, and an unstable home environment. And it's nice to see at the end, the girls finally find a real family to be a part of, the family they deserve. So if you haven't seen this movie, stop what you're doing and watch it right now. You will not be disappointed. So I'm going to wrap it up for today. Thank you for joining me here on Sinful Sarah's Horror Menagerie. Again, I'm your host, Sarah Sin. Thank you for sticking around as discuss horror history, psychology, and mental health within horror movies. Hope you enjoyed the show. Again, thank you for listening. And I just want to remind everybody that there's a horror movie out there for everyone to enjoy. So thank you.